Thanks, Steve. Well, yes, that's right. We're in Mark's Gospel again today. Uh, last week, we were in Mark chapter 1 and looking at verses 29 to 39. And in that, we saw uh, the healing power of Christ as we looked at Jesus' healing of Simon's mother-in-law. And then how as, as word got out and as the evening progressed, more and more people uh, were brought to the house they were staying in. And uh, uh, all throughout that night, Jesus healed many and various diseases and he was casting out demons and uh, it was quite a scene. And in this, we saw that he had power over infirmity and it showed uh, clearly that Jesus is God the Son. Only God could heal on that scale and with such a simplicity as well. Uh, But the passage revealed more to us about who Jesus is. He had uh, more and more people streaming to that house in Capernaum the next morning, uh, but instead of sticking around to heal them as well, he told his disciples that his true priority was to, to go out and preach the gospel to the surrounding towns as well. That is why he had come. And in this, we saw that he had not only power over infirmity, but power over iniquity, power over sin. He had come to bring forgiveness through this good news. And really, this is the greatest healing. And physical healing is is temporary in this life. But spiritual healing, uh, as people respond to the gospel, this has eternal consequences. Only in the new heavens and the new earth will believers receive ultimate physical healing without our resurrected glorified bodies but of course to enjoy that experience and the blessedness of it we must submit to Christ as Lord right now and receive the forgiveness of sins by believing the good news of God's saving rule which is found in Christ alone well the preaching tour that Jesus embarked on throughout the towns of Galilee Uh, That could have lasted uh, weeks, uh, maybe even months. And then in in Mark chapter 2 and verse 1, we see him returning in to Capernaum. But before, or or in between uh, these two moments of when he sets off and when he comes back, uh, Mark records one one moment, and it's a truly remarkable event. I mean, so much would have happened during this time on the road, But Mark chooses to record this one event. He zeroes in on it uh, because it has immense significance. Firstly, it has significance in a a chronological sense. At some point during his teaching tour and preaching tour, Jesus meets a leper and he heals him. And this affects the rest of the tour. And so it's important in explaining the progression of events and to see how he ended back up in Capernaum. But moreover, it's important in a Christological sense. That is, it teaches us about Christ. Christology being the study of Christ or the doctrine of Christ. It teaches us, this passage, about his compassion. It teaches us about his power. But it also provides us a picture of the gospel itself. As the man Jesus heals is is brought back into the community, whereas Jesus ends up being forced out into desolate places. It's a vivid image of Christ being forsaken, that those who trust in him might receive forgiveness of their sins and restoration to God. So, 
Please turn with me in your Bibles to Mark 1, and we're going to read verses 40 to 45. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer your cleansing, offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. The title of today's sermon is A Divine Exchange and as we'll see, the leper's inclusion results in the Lord's isolation. A divine exchange takes place. So, point one, the leper's inclusion. We see this in verses 40 to 42. And there are, there are three simple actions in this section. There's a request, there's a, a response, and there's a result. And these are the same three actions that are mirrored in the next section as well, only uh, from a reverse perspective, as we'll see shortly. So in verse 40, we see a request from the leper. Let me read that again. And the leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. We don't know who this man was. We don't know how long he had been suffering, but his actions show his desperation. He's heard about Jesus. He's heard about his power and he's willing to risk everything for the chance to be healed. Now it's uncertain as to the extent of his physical ailment. The Greek word lepros means scaly. And it's a reference to how a disease uh, can affect a person's skin. But in the scriptures, it is a broad term that covers uh, many skin conditions that range in severity. The background for understanding what the Bible means by leprosy is found in the Old Testament book of Leviticus. uh, In chapters 13 and 14. I'll just uh, make a summary of those. You don't need to turn to those, but just make a note. In uh, Leviticus chapter 13, there's a whole chapter on the uh, diagnosis of of leprosy. In the first half, it explains uh, the various uh, leprous diseases on skin of of people, human skin. But interestingly, in the, the second half of that chapter, it talks about leprous diseases on garments as well. And we know that what affects clothes is not always the same thing that affects humans. And so it means that leprosy can be quite a general term in scripture for any disease that affects uh, the outward appearance. Then in chapter 14, uh, it talks about the cleansing of leprosy. Again, in the first half, it talks about uh, 
purifying a person, what needs to happen for a person who once was unclean to be declared clean. Uh, and again, it's not just skin disease. In the second half of that, it talks about purifying a house as well. There's a summary statement at the end of chapter 14 and from verse 54. Let me just read that. This is the law for any case of leprous disease, for an itch, for leprous disease in a garment or in a house, and for a swelling or an eruption or a spot to show when it is unclean or when it is clean. This is the law for leprous disease. Now, in this section, cleaning, or sorry, cleansing, does not mean producing healing. Uh, It was not in the sense of uh, making something better, but declaring that something had been made better. It prescribed what a person uh, needed to do, what needed to happen, Uh, if a person or a garment or a house uh, was healed, as if the disease disappeared. And it it set the rituals to perform that testified cleansing had taken place. Now, what is described in Leviticus 13 to 14 is probably not what we think of when we hear the term leprosy today. What we think of Uh, as leprosy is specifically known as Hansen's disease. Uh, It was named after Gerhard Hansen. He was a a Norwegian physician who in 1873, he discovered the bacterial agent of leprosy known as Mycobacterium leprae. Um, And it's a terrible, wasting disease. It affects the skin, causing sores and, and bumps and rashes. affects the limbs... Uh, causing twisting of the feet and the hands, uh, affecting internal organs as well, causing damage uh, to kidneys. But all these are are symptomatic of the primary cause, uh, that it it causes damage to the nervous system. It destroys nerve endings that carry pain signals. And so people stop feeling pain. And we might think of that as a good thing, but pain is actually a helpful thing because uh, it tells us when something is bad for us. But if people can't feel pain, they don't know when they hurt themselves. I mean, people might just put their hands into boiling water and not flinch. Um, and they don't know when they are being hurt. Uh, some people have, have woken up in the morning to realise that uh, their, their fingers have been eaten uh, by rats when they slept. They weren't awoken by the pain. Um, it is a, is a terrible thing. The earliest reported cases of Hansen's disease, this, this uh, uh, major uh, disease, are from 600 BC uh, in India, China and Egypt. And, and for this reason, and also for the, the dissimilar symptoms that are mentioned in Leviticus, it seems unlikely that the Old Testament describes the most severe form of leprosy. Now that being said, there are records of Hansen's disease coming into the regions mentioned in Scripture about three centuries before Christ. And so obviously that's well after the Old Testament was written. Some have suggested that the disease uh, could have spread with the armies of Alexander the Great, uh, whose campaigns extended his empire further 
than anyone had ever before. And with that and, and the military expansion came the disease as well. So it is possible that this man here in Mark chapter 1 could have had something as debilitating as Hansen's disease. Or the fact that he could walk and that he could kneel before Christ meant that he, had, he still had use of his limbs. But on the other hand, the severity of his physical ailment was not the greatest concern. I mean, how sick the man was does not take away from Jesus' power. I mean, even if he had a severe case of eczema, for Jesus to say the word and it to disappear is still a miracle. I mean, Mark is not uh, uh, giving anything away to, for Jesus' power uh, if, it's, if it's not as debilitating as Hansen's disease. I mean, in chapter 5, we see that Jesus raises a girl from the dead. So there's nothing that takes away from Jesus' power here in Mark's Gospel. This man's physical stature was diseased and to what extent it is uncertain however the extent of his spiritual ailment was in no doubt whatsoever just uh, turning our focus back to leviticus 13 and 14 we recognize that if a person was diagnosed with a skin disease then he was to be declared unclean And uh, in Leviticus 13, verses 45 to 46, it states this, and then it states what that meant for the person. Leviticus 13, 45. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So to be declared unclean resulted in you being isolated from the community. Uh, You couldn't take part in normal life. You couldn't be with family and friends. You couldn't participate in the worship and the sacrifices. You couldn't even dress normally. You had to dress in a way that meant no one accidentally came into contact with you Uh, that they might also become unclean. By way of comparison, when when Jesus healed Simon's mother-in-law, this took place in Simon's house. She was sick, but she was still being taken care of. This man with leprosy, he not only suffered physically, he suffered spiritually and emotionally and socially. You know, when you're sick, it's always a, a comfort to have people near you, caring for you, loving you, touching you, you know, a soft caress on your forehead when you're burning up just lets, lets you know that someone is, is there, even if they can't do anything more than just be there. But this man knew none of this. He was in, in physical pain, but he was also in spiritual pain, emotional pain, and he needed to be made clean so that he could be welcomed back home. And so, regardless of the extent of his physical ailment, he was perhaps in need of an even bigger miracle than Simon's mother-in-law. Lepers were thought of as as walking corpses. Unclean, unclean, they had to yell, because people could 
defile themselves uh, just as quickly by by bumping into a leper as they as if they had just touched a dead body. And so, if this man were to be healed, it required, in a sense, being brought back from the dead. Now, why might we ask was a person to be ostracised from his community in this manner, even if it had nothing to do with him causing it? We ask, why did God allow for such a thing? Well, in short, the clean and the unclean laws within Scripture relate to holiness. In the Old Testament, God dwelt in the tabernacle and then in the, the temple, and his, his spiritual presence in the midst of the Israelites meant that he would only allow what he considered clean uh, to come near him and his people, since his people were to be holy as he was holy, which is a, a refrain that's echoed many times in Leviticus. But why punish someone who hadn't done anything wrong, who had merely contracted a, a skin disease? Um, what well, gets to the heart of the matter regarding sin. After Adam and Eve, all people are born with a sinful nature. You know, we sin because we are sinners. In Psalm 51, verse 5, the great King David declares, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. He's not saying he was born out of wedlock. He was saying he was born as a descendant of Adam. Well, does that mean that people were responsible for contracting leprosy? No. Not in the sense that they made a choice and then got themselves infected. But as every person in the world is born in Adam, it means that we are all sinners. And it means that we all feel the effects in various ways of living in a fallen world. That God declared certain things clean and unclean pointed to this fact. For even as the Old Testament revelation progressed, it showed that the external matters of cleanliness were not the main issue. The heart of the matter was internal. In that same Psalm 51 and verse 2, David pleads with God, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. And then in verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. It would only be in the new covenant, only in the arrival of the Messiah, that true cleansing could be made. That sin could be forgiven and isolation from God and his community could be ended. Well, now as we turn back to the man here in Mark 1, we can see that there is great humility in his desperate actions. Of course, it's only ever when we come to the end of ourselves that we can call out for God, knowing that we have nothing at all and knowing that we need everything from him. And so he comes to Jesus, imploring him and kneeling before him. He lowers himself before the Lord. And he requests, if you will, you can make me clean. He's not doubting Jesus' ability. 
He's not saying, if you can. He knows he can. The question is, will he? He doesn't look upon Jesus uh, as having the same power as the priests in the temple. They only had the power to declare a person clean if they had already been made clean. Now, he's heard about Jesus' power to heal. And his question is about Jesus' willingness. How often do we presume upon the Lord to assume that he's going to respond, to to take his power and his person for granted? Hebrews 4 tells us that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. But that is because of Christ's mediating work. So we should never be blasé or careless or flippant before God. the end of Hebrews, it tells us that our God is a consuming fire. We must have true reverence for him. Well, this leper shows us the right attitude in his request. Then in verse 41, we see a response from the Lord. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and he touched him and said to him, I will be clean. In uh, some Manuscript copies, it says that Jesus was moved with anger rather than, than pity. And if, if that is the case, uh, then we should think that Jesus was angered at the, the nature of sin and its effect upon creation rather than being angry at the man uh, for making such a request. We see the same kind of thing in, in John chapter 11 when Jesus wept uh, at the death of Lazarus. It wasn't that he was upset that Lazarus was gone. He was going to raise him from the dead in a moment. He wept because he saw the suffering that sin brought upon the people. However, it it does seem best to take Jesus' emotion displayed here as pity. We read the same thing in in Mark 6, verse 34, in in the account of the feeding of the 5,000. We read, When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. In Mark 8, verse 2, in the account of the feeding of the 4,000, Jesus said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. Pity, uh, compassion, mercy, they're all related terms. One uh, theology uh, book describes what mercy means in comparison to grace. It says God's mercy means God's goodness towards those who are in misery and distress. Whereas God's grace means God's goodness towards those who deserve only punishment. And so whereas grace deals with our guilty state, mercy and compassion deals with our pitiful state. Jesus looked upon the helplessness of the man and he decided to be merciful. And he truly was merciful because he could have simply stood at a distance and said the word and the man would have been healed. I mean, in Matthew 8, we see the exact thing uh, when Jesus healed a centurion servant without even coming to see him. He just said the word and the guy was healed. Now, Jesus gives the man what he needs the most. He gives him a healing hand. He stretched out his hand and he touched him 
Jesus didn't flinch at his presence. He, he connected with him and he showed him tenderness. And in this response, Jesus was not breaking the Old Testament law because he was not defiled by the man's condition. I mean, how could he be? He was the Holy One. When the demons that he'd been casting out throughout his preaching tour uh, in that region, they'd been trying to make that declaration, but he wouldn't let them. The unclean spirit in the synagogue cried out in fear, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. In verse 24, Jesus is the Holy One of God. He is the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity made flesh. In the opening chapter of John's Gospel, we read in verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the phrase dwelt among us means encamped among us. And it's language that refers back to God being encamped in the tabernacle and the temple among Israel. And so Jesus is the divine presence in the flesh. Jesus is the tabernacle. Jesus is the presence of God. And so he's not made unclean by touching the leper. He makes the leper clean. One commentator aptly states, the Lord didn't catch the leper's contagious disease. The leper caught the Lord's contagious holiness. And the result is immediate. The result is inclusion. Verse 42. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. This episode began with a vague time signature, meaning that it happened sometime during the course of Jesus' preaching ministry in Galilee. But here we see Mark's favourite connecting term, immediately. And it designates that the man's condition was healed straight Away, He was healed in an instant. And Jesus didn't simply declare the man to be clean. He made him clean. And by healing him, he brought an end to physical suffering, but also to his spiritual and emotional torment as well. And it meant that he could re-enter society. It meant he could go back home. The power of Christ shows that he truly is God. The son. In 2 Kings chapter 5, it's the power of God exhibited through the prophet Elisha that led to the healing of the Syrian commander Naaman. The healing of those with leprosy is a constant sign of Jesus' divine identity. In Matthew 11, John the Baptist sent his disciples to inquire of Jesus as to whether he was the Messiah to come. John thought that the kingdom of God would uh, be established immediately uh, and in full the moment the Messiah came. But there was this delay and he was wondering, did I get it right? But Jesus reassures him of his identity and he tells John's disciples in chapter 11, verses 4 to 5, he says, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. Christ had the power to heal because he was the eternal son of God. And wonderfully for this humble leper, he was healed, he was cleansed, he was included into the community once more. 
And it is a beautiful picture, as I said, of what Christ truly does through the forgiveness of sin. But of course, that required him dying on the cross as a substitute for his people. And incredibly, what happens uh, after Jesus cleansed the leper depicts that majestic moment as well. And so in this divine exchange, we see the leper's inclusion, but that comes at the expense of the Lord's isolation. Again, this section repeats the same simple actions as the previous section. There's a request, there's a response, and there's a result, but this time with the perspective reversed. So verses 43 to 44, we see that there is a request from the Lord and it's probably wrong to call it a request. It's, it's more of a direct command. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once. There was no sternness in Jesus' response to the leper's request, but after he is healed, there is firmness in what Jesus declares to him. Just as quickly as he cleanses the leper, the Lord sends him away. And why? Well, remember that he's in the middle of a preaching tour of Galilee. He explained back in verse 38, the reason that he'd come out was to preach, to proclaim the gospel of God, that the saving rule and reign of God had now arrived in his person, and that people needed to repent of their sin and believe in this good news, believe in him. While Jesus was compassionate and showed God's mercy in his healing activities, he knew that this was not his top priority. He didn't want people getting caught up um, in seeking physical healing at the expense of failing to recognize their need for spiritual healing, their need for restoration to God, their need for the forgiveness of sin, their need to be saved from the wrath of holy God that was resting upon them. And so he is firm and clear with this newly cleansed man and he sends him away uh, before he draws undue and unwanted attention. But in his words to the man, the Lord directs him to fulfill the Old Testament laws that uh, will ensure his cleansing is acknowledged and that he can truly return into a normal living. Verse 44, And he said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone. Seems pretty clear, doesn't it? See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. Now, according to Leviticus 14, this uh, cleansing uh, covered a time frame of about two weeks. And the main aspect of this was a sacrifice. After the, the priest declared the person clean, a, a bird would be killed, and that was to symbolise the person's previous state of death. But then a second bird was taken, and it was actually dipped into the blood of the first bird, and then released, and that was to symbolise the state of new life. Jesus directed the man to go up to the temple in Jerusalem and do all that was necessary to have him recognised as being cleansed. Some Commentators hold that the the proof is meant to be for the priests about Jesus' power to heal 
And that by acknowledging uh, the healed man, they were actually acknowledging the identity of Jesus and hence their guilt because they ended up rejecting Jesus. But it seems best to think uh, that it meant proof to the priest that this man was cleansed. It wouldn't have mattered how he was healed. The priest would have only been concerned as to whether he had been made clean. And Jesus had told the men not to say anything. So how were the priests supposed to be convicted about the identity of Jesus if they weren't to know who healed the man or how the man was healed? So this is Jesus' request, his command. But how does the leper respond? Beginning of verse 45. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news. Now, although the phrase spread the news uh, translates the Greek word meaning preach, uh, which is the same word describing the priority of Jesus' mission, nevertheless, in this instance, it is not seen in a positive light. Now, yes, it, it seems obvious that the man was incredibly excited and overwhelmed at the new freedom that he experiences after meeting Jesus. So much so, we don't even know uh, if he went up to Jerusalem to fulfil the sacrificial requirements. He knew he was cleansed, and that seemed to be truly what mattered the most to him. However, as a response to Jesus' stern request, indeed his command, the man acts in complete disobedience. His faithful display at the beginning is marred by his actions at the end. We have to recognise that true faith in Christ will always lead to obeying his words. Is that not what is stated for us in the Great Commission? Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. And so what happens as a result for Jesus? Well, there is a trading of places, isn't there? The Lord's response resulted in the the leper's inclusion, whereas the leper's response resulted in the Lord's isolation. And we can see that as we read the rest of verse 45. The man went out and, and spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. And so we see Jesus' fame grew exponentially and rapidly. His mission was to preach to the towns within Galilee, but this incredible cleansing miracle drew more and more people to come to him. Uh, Not to listen and to to learn and to, to respond to the gospel, but to experience his healing power and to see a spectacle. And the intensity of the crowd's desire is such that Even when he heads out into these desolate places, areas that were on the outskirts, regions where news uh, would have normally taken a long time to reach, even here the crowds found him. They trekked for miles and miles to experience his presence. But Jesus knew the hearts of all men. And he knew that this was not for repentance that they came, but for temporary healing. And then they would just be on their way. The negative aspect of the leper's response, we see that uh, in the fact that when Jesus returned to Capernaum in Mark chapter 2, he's got people climbing through the rafters to get to him. 
The same is seen in Mark chapter 7, where after Jesus healed a deaf and a mute man, he again commanded the people not to spread the word. But they did. And then in Mark 8 verse 1, we see Jesus confronted by another great crowd, and this time a very hungry crowd. This raises for us the question of uh, divine sovereignty and human responsibility. You might ask, uh, did the leper's actions disrupt Jesus' plans? Well, yes, they did. He was supposed to be on a preaching tour, but he couldn't do that. Was the leper responsible for his actions? Yes, he was. Did this mean that the Lord's sovereignty was hindered? Well, no, it did not. In fact, the gospel accounts reveal that Jesus is the only one who really knows what is going on at any and at all times. When we experience things that make us question whether God is really in control, it is a true encouragement to recognise that nothing happens outside of his will and that he is directing all things towards his purposes. Now, he's not the author of sin, but he's still sovereign over it and uses it to bring about his good. God has made men and women with the ability to choose. We make real choices. There's nothing artificial or imposed upon our choices. And yet, we believe the scripture when it tells us that our genuine choices exist within the sphere of God's sovereign will. Proverbs 16 verse 33 tells us, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. The most random of events is shown to be not outside of God's control. And so it was with the Lord's ministry on earth. Nothing ultimately hindered it. And we can see that in this event because even in this action, it serves as a vivid picture of what ultimately needed to happen for true cleansing to take place for his people. He would need to be forsaken that they might be forgiven. He would need to be isolated that they might be included in God's kingdom. This account of the Lord and the leper is a picture of the divine exchange of the gospel. On the cross, Jesus declared, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For people to dwell in God's presence, their sin needs to be atoned for. It needs to be made amends for. And only the one who is both God and man can do that on our behalf. The good news of the gospel is that Christ has come to redeem his people, to cleanse them that they might be restored to fellowship with God. Jesus was isolated from the Father so that all who repent and believe in him will be included in the Father's house. The Apostle John's vision in Revelation 21 shows us the fulfilment of that promise. Verses 3 to 4, we read these wonderful words. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, 
and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. May you be found among this gathering by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Father, we are again blessed as we read your word to us. We thank you for the the identity of Jesus again revealed to us in this passage. He is God the Son. And yet we see the, the bigger perspective here as we see the leper included, the Lord isolated, a picture, a vivid image of the gospel itself. That Christ was cast out so that we might be brought in. Father, uh, may we be humbled by that. May we be in awe of you for your divine mercy and grace towards us. May we be found faithful uh, to you and obedient to Christ and his word. And in his name we pray. Amen.